You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 69 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we have another legend of the game. His name is regularly mentioned when we talk about some of the most talented players to come through the UK. It is Ajo Deng, the older brother of Luol Deng, who obviously we all know about, but his story is a little less told. Um... He ended up in the UK, uh, age 15, 16, again, fleed the civil war in Sudan, ended up in Egypt for three years where he picked up the game before coming to the UK and playing with Brixton Topcats, before then going to the States uh, where he received a massive amount of attention, ended up at UConn where he won a national championship um, and uh, you know had a four-year college career whilst battling through some pretty uh, serious foot injuries, which you'll hear all about, and then going on to pro career, um, predominantly in the BBL um here in the UK but his story is incredible and uh, yeah he's mentioned so much uh, as you know a player that was way ahead of his time 6'11 could handle the ball that I thought it would be great to get on get him on here to talk about his story uh, and yeah it proved to be super interesting so I'm sure that you will get a lot out of it as I did before we get into the show as always please take two seconds to check out our Patreon account patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s-f-i-x there you can sign up to give us a monthly contribution of as much or as little as you like that helps us do the work that we're doing. We're trying to move away from freelancing. We're trying to move away from selling our time for money and instead coming directly to our audience um, for you to reach into your pockets, give us a couple of quid a month, um, an amount of money that you wouldn't even notice leaving your account, but goes a long way in helping us fund the work that we're doing. So please take two seconds, check it out, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. As always, uh, you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at hoopsfix. Uh, if you want some uh, personal private correspondence, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com. And as always, uh, on YouTube, uh, if you're watching, definitely leave me a comment. Let me know what you think about Ajo's story uh, and his incredible talent as well. Hit up YouTube and go and look at some of the clips uh, that still exist and you'll see why everyone was raving about him. Um, anyway, that's enough from me. Here is this week's show with me and Ajo Deng. Ajo, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. So, like I was saying before before we start recording, this is uh, something I have wanted to do for so long. You're one of the names that consistently comes up when I talk about uh, legends that have uh, come through these shores and played uh, in the UK. Um, and I think there's there's so much uh, to, to get into, and I think people will uh, really enjoy sort of hearing hearing your story. So, I guess I always start at the beginning. Um, now, obviously, we kind of know a little bit about about the early days, but I would I would love to to go back there and talk about kind of how you were first exposed to basketball, that those early sort of stages of your of your basketball career. Ooh. Let me go back. It's been a while since I can talk about this, but uh, I started playing basketball actually when uh, we lived in Egypt. At the time uh, when we were host Sudan, we have a lot of issues with the uh, uh, political politically. So we had to uh, we had to move to Egypt at the time. All of my siblings. So when I started basketball, is uh, it's with Manute Bull. Actually, me and my older brother, Deng Deng, uh, we hear about Manute Bull. Manute Bull used to come to uh, uh, Egypt at the time. He was playing in the NBA. So we are kids. Well, but I was about maybe a 12, 13. So we just used to go and uh, watch him play, you know. And staying down there, the next year, we stopped picking up the basketball. And um, after that, that's how we started playing basketball. Actually, it's because of... Uh, Manute Ball. 
So, and uh, all of the South Sudanese guys that used to come back from the, from the US. At, at that time, was was Manute in the NBA, and he was coming back. He was coming back in in the summers and sort of you know trying to run whether it's camp sessions and whatever else, or, or, or was it still very early on in his career? No, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think he was in the middle of his career. So he used to come back uh, to Egypt. He actually came back maybe around uh, two or three times while we were there. The first time is when we were just swore and watch him. The second time we picked up the basketball at that time. So when he came back, we actually started joining and he started showing us a couple of drills here and stuff like that. And, you know, how to put up, how to do layups and how to shoot. And the year after that, when he came back, he saw us improving. You know, and that's when we took off, and that's that. That's the time we left to go to uh, London. When we talk about that, that that sort of environment that you were playing in, you know, um, like us in the UK, <laughs> we have regular complaints about the facilities and uh, you know the setup of, of basketball. But obviously in Egypt, I, I guess it was very different to to what we have in the UK. Kind of, what was the environment that you were playing in those those, uh, those sort of first experiences of of, of basketball? Uh, it was it was kind of difficult. Obviously, uh, facilities uh, are the main thing, you know, where we were at. Actually, it was like a, it's a bunch of us who played basketball, maybe like 10 of us or something like that. But we played in a church and that church just allowed us to play there maybe twice or three times a week, you know, for like an hour or two hours or something like that. So. It's, it was difficult, but I fell in love with the game right away. So me and my uh, older brother. So what I what I used to do is uh, is uh, is wake up early in the morning before I go to school, and I would just run with the basketball in my hand, you know, just dribbling all the way to get there. But when I get there, I only got like two uh, ten minutes or something like that to shoot. So I just shoot or do whatever. I run right back and then uh, just put my my clothes on, I got to go to school. So it's just finding different ways to, to, to love what you do kind of thing, you know. And uh, with that, it, I mean, it's not easy, but we find ways, you know. And what was Manute telling you about his NBA experiences? Like kind of what was your awareness of, I guess, uh, where basketball could take you in terms of a career or anything else? Like was it in your mind, you know, this could help? Uh, change my situation or was it very much just playing for the love of the game uh first we started for the love of the game the first thing is like obviously we we used to play football we used to play soccer that's 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 what we used to love and uh when Manute came uh we start falling in love with the game but it's at that time it's really you you don't have much to see NBA you don't know how you, there's no tapes of this anything that's that's just the first introduction about the game. It's like, this is how the game is played. Uh, Manute is playing in the NBA. He's famous. You know, he's, he's making a lot of money. You're like, what the hell is basketball kind of thing, you know? So it just got to, uh, we got introduced. And then we start watching tapes because Manute will bring tapes. He will bring like jerseys and stuff like that. So we start watching tapes. And I remember watching the Michael Jordan stuff, come fly with me and the stuff like that. So We'll have one tape or two tapes, and then we just like we watch it over and over and over, and, and you just memorize every type of move. You, you go and do the same thing over and over because that's all you know, you know, and that's all you're watching. So, so it becomes like 
that type of thing. And, and when you start watching and, and, and the first exposure is minute and the first exposure to the, to the, to the tapes were Michael Jordan, you know, and you see Michael Jordan and you see Michael Jordan doing stuff in the air and flying and stuff like that. So you, uh, that's how we fell in love with the game. Was there any things that stick out in your mind, uh, key things that to this day um, Manute taught you that you've kind of carried through with you for your entire sort of life or career? Uh, he always says, uh, he always says, love the game, the game will love you back, you know. So pretty much it's just going in there, do the best you can do. If you love it, you put your heart into it. It will, you know, universe has a way to direct you in places that, you know, that uh, that that uh, you want to accomplish in sense of you want to accomplish something, you will get the things if you put the hard work into it. So those are the lessons that I always like. Uh, it still stuck up with me to today. When you talk about the talent level that you had and uh, you know around you and, and your peers that were playing in Egypt, was it clear that there was raw talent there? Like, did you know? You know, obviously now we see because of the the internet and everything else we see the talent that since sudan and you know other countries in africa that this raw sort of untapped talent was it clear to you back then that there was a lot of guys there that you know had real potential uh for this sport if they had the right infrastructure coaching and everything else around them to be able to succeed yes yes i i i i feel that there's a lot of guys who has talent and uh if they have uh what most of the kids have today they will they will get the best out of their talent as well, you know, as much as being seen. Because because when I playing in Egypt, it is very and and even in, in England is you you it's hardly you hear players from Europe or from Africa stuff like that getting an exposure to 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 the to, to go to the U.S. Because everybody's dream is the U.S. So when you get when you get a college offer. It's like everybody's like, oh my God, Division One! You're going to Division One. That's something incredible. That's that's alone is success, you know, type of thing, you know. So so uh, pass forward, the game has changed so much in in terms of if you can be seen anywhere, you know. Um, you have uh, if you if you want to enhance or you want to improve your game, you have all kind of you have you have you can go to YouTube. You can see all the whole game. You can you can figure out a lot of things. You can really you can really, if you have the work ethic, you can develop a lot, you know. So with that said, it's 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 it's, it's different time, but um, it's not as easy as well for 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 this generation to say because uh, it's I was I, I usually say it's it's easy and it's hard. It's easy in a term where the game is is you can get better, um, you can improve your game. The game has changed so much with like the speed. If you if you are, if you have talent, you know you have skills, you will do well. Um, it's also it's, it's it's difficult because because it's so many damn players now. You know it, it's like every position you'll find so many. So it's a lot of guys who can play who who are not in the NBA. You know, so it becomes like what what do you do now? How do you differentiate yourself? How do you you know? What do you do? Like you work on your game, you study the game more. There's so many things that, you know, you have to be like totally focused in what you want to do because it's harder to get in. So in terms of, you know, going back to, to your journey, um, you know, you, you've, you've had to leave leave Sudan. You're, you're in Egypt. You're in Egypt for three years, I believe, right? 
Uh, yeah, about four, about four years. Yeah, four years, and then the situation yeah. sort of deteriorated and, and kind of, and then it, it was like the whole family managed to get political asylum in England. Is that, is that correct? Kind of, what was your what were your yeah. memories? And so, so what age were you at this point? Did you you originally left Sudan and went to Egypt when you were eleven-ish? Was that was that right? Okay, I came to eleven. I came to London when I turned sixteen, and I just turned sixteen. Uh, I think it's ninety-five, ninety-six around that time. Um, yeah. And then from there, from there, I was a year and a half at Brixton. And then I, I got to go to the U.S. and I got to go to St. Thomas More. And then from there, I was coming back and forth every summer and whatnot, uh, rough and ready times. <laughs> Which we definitely need to get onto. Uh, one, of the, yeah. one of the things that, um, one of the articles, one of the articles, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, Jimmy Rogers was, was speaking. And he was saying that when, when you first came to England, you went to Crystal Palace and they actually turned you away. Yeah, um, uh, it's just, we lived in Wimbledon uh, when we first got to, to the UK. And uh, from Wimbledon, um, we were actually just trying to find out where we can play basketball. We didn't know anything, you know? We just find, and I think uh, my brother Ding Ding found out about YMCA in uh, Wimbledon. So we used to go there and, and we just went there and we saw a bunch of guys are playing. It's a really a small court, but it was like uh, it was like a really nice run because it's like we haven't played for quite some time. And uh, uh, we met with Wayne Henry at the time. Wayne is the one that took us to Crystal Palace first we were, we were t- just to get have a run. And uh, I remember Crystal Palace and the coach uh, he, he didn't take us pretty much that we are like soft or something like that. And uh, then we start going to Brixton. And when we went to Brixton, obviously Jimmy, Jimmy would take any kit, you know? So Jimmy welcomed us with open arms. And, 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 and since then it's been, uh, it's been nothing but great memories. And, and uh, a lot of things we took from Brixton, man, to, that, that we still, to still day, today we practice it about life period, you know? What were your what were your first impressions of, of of London? You know, coming from Sudan and Egypt, and then coming to London. You know, do you remember kind of your first impressions when you got here? Uh, your experiences, the sort of the big differences, maybe culturally, um, that kind of stick out in your mind. Uh, yeah, culture was different because um, the first thing, obviously, is the language. Uh, we didn't speak English that well because we're not accustomed. Like we can hear, we can hear people are speaking so uh obviously the infrastructure is totally different you know uh, um uh, those are the memories that are still stuck in my head but um over it's just like a culture you, you, you try to stay quiet you observe everything around you and stuff like that but uh it was it was a uh, it was it was a, a different culture culture shock in a way you know and then those those early practices with with jimmy like what, what were your first impressions of jimmy and uh, kind of what your memories of, of, you know, Top Cats and kind of, I guess, your experiences there? Um, the first experience is like the runs were good. Um, if you come to Brixton and you're not uh, ready to work hard and, and run, then you, you shouldn't be there. Those, those are the first thing. Everybody, in, everybody was in good shape, you know? So... Uh, in order to fit in, you have to you have to be tough. You know, you're gonna run, and you're not only gonna run because you make mistake. You're gonna run because 
other people make mistakes as well. So it's a team game. Understanding is a team game and, and it's hard work and hard work will get you places. Those are the first things that pressure that comes to mind. And obviously the greatest voice of all time, Jimmy's voice, is <laughs> it's the, the first thing you can hear, man. I still hear it to this day. And so when... What what teams were you playing for? Like obviously, you, if you were here a year and a half ish before you went before you ended up going to the states to high school, kind of were you playing for uh, you know Brixton under 16s, under 18s, under 19s, under 17s, whatever it was back then, like juniors, or were you playing for the senior team as well? Kind of in terms of actual competing, like what what squads were you representing? Uh, I was playing. I was playing with the juniors. I was playing with the 18s and the 18, and then I played with the men at the same time. And how did you feel like you were competing on the floor? Like, was it clear at that point that, you know, you were pretty talented? Yes, it was uh, It was clear because prior to that, obviously, you, you practice and, and, and they have a lot of run at Brixton. So people get to see you and, and, and you know, uh, and you get to see others as well. Uh, one thing I would say, like when I came to Brixton, most of the guys in, in, under under 18 were very talented in squad, you know, that went on and actually played professionally as well. So so it's just like for them to welcome you and, and to play with them, it, they make the game so much easier for you as well. So it wasn't like uh, I came in and stood out and I threw it myself. It was just a team. And practice were actually tougher than games for us, you know, and that's and that's. Uh, how we all got better. Who were some of those names that you were playing with uh, at Brixton? Uh, Brixton, Sean Gray, uh, Uganda, Marvin, Eddie, Marvin Ambroses, Daniel Sandel, who else? Damn, um, Kevin. And a lot of a lot of guys, man. That's that's. Uh, I'm sure while while we go on, some more guys, some more names will come in my head. You know, uh, Rashid. Yeah, tough, tough, tough guys, man. When you talk about some of the standout names uh, within the the British basketball landscape at that time that you kind of remember, not necessarily from Brixton, but like you know the teams that you were playing against, um, other sort of yeah yeah top top talents. Are there any names that particular that you stand that stand out that you remember playing and thinking yeah you know this guy's really good this guy's really talented, um, yeah that yeah that you kind of still remember to this day. Man, um, today obviously the first 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 guys that you remember is Joe White and his team of course rest in peace to Joe White. Um, um, yeah, Joe, the whole Joe White team was just was just was just you know was just stuff to uh, Andrew Sullivan, of course. Um, and if you go around, it's just not just in my era. Like to look at guys that talented guys that I came across. Uh, you have Yorick Williams, who was who was really tough uh, since he was young. He that dude could jump from the free throw line. He can defend. He can do all kind of things. You know. Actually, I played with him in the Brighton, you know, and I always tell him, man, pass it the ball. Pass it the ball. But nah, uh, it was great. Uh, you got Uganda. Uganda was one of the guys that not a lot of people talk about him, but what he has done in NCAA is, is, is incredible. You know, he's, uh, he's athletic, he's gifted offensively, 
And defensively, man, he 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 locked people down. You know, he's out there looking like Scotty Pippen. <laughs> and then you got uh, you have um, man, you have and Rashid. Rashid was tough. Rashid was really tough. Uh, that Rashid Quadri. Yeah, Rashid Quadri. Yeah. Defensively, offensively, um, he was he was he was uh, really tough. And uh, man, who else? It's a lot of guys, man. P- Pierre, Pierre was tough, you know. Demaja was Demaja, tough. Demaja Stewart, Pierre Henry yeah. Montaigne. Yeah, um, yeah. So those are those are the guys I can remember for now. Yeah. But uh, Andrew Sullivan, Andrew Sullivan is uh, is one of the guys that I uh, we always go up uh, when we played them with uh, with. Uh, 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 London Towers. He's uh, he was gifted man. He's gifted athletically, defensively, and uh, sometimes like obviously you see, but he had and he's he's just he's just a winner. Even when when he was with the uh, Great Britain team, he put in a lot of work that people don't notice that because change. He's simply he's very he's very uh, on ball. Off ball and very tough man, and he changed a lot. Like even uh, the, the 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 GB team that played in Olympics is uh, most of the games were closed games, you know. And a lot of obviously a lot of people would talk about pops and, and would talk about Lewall and whatnot. But other things that uh, Sullivan did a, did a remark remarkable job on a lot of guys in those things and changes the game in a way, you know. Um. The the, yeah. the move to the states, I, I believe uh, it was actually Tony Hansen um, who first saw you and actually called called uh, Yukon and said that there's a there's a kid here that you kind of need to keep an eye on or whatever, and that was how that 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 move to the states first came about. Yeah. What are your memories of of kind of um, yeah leaving the UK, going to the US, like how it how it did come about, what the process was. Um, I believe Calhoun even came to Brixton to kind of watch you practice. Uh, yeah, I, I would kind of love to hear your your memories of that. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, from uh, when I was recruited, when I was recruited with basketball, actually it started a little bit in Egypt with Menud Ball and some teams were interested, but obviously that never happened. So when I came, when we came uh, uh, in London. It was different schools, and uh, obviously Tony Hansen, my guy. He was uh, he was one of the guys that uh, uh, spoke to UConn, and actually my uh, other cousin that lived in the states. His name is Edward Borna, and um, that's when uh, Calhoun came down to watch me play. And you know he watched me play, and they were very interested. But obviously at the time I still had to I had to go to high school and whatnot. So for me it's like man, it's a dream. I just want to go to the U.S. I just want to go and see and uh, where my talent can take me. So uh, playing with uh, Calhoun coming down, I agreed. I agreed that, like, I committed early, you know, even though that when I went to the States, um, I have so many people. Actually, when I, Syracuse, I don't know who, Syracuse heard about me while when I was in uh, London, and they actually contacted us. You know, they want me to go there. So, but obviously by then, UConn was doing the best they can do. And uh, they recommend, recommended the school for me, which is St. Thomas More. And uh, yeah, and then went there and the rest was history. 
So did you have, at that point, when you were in England, outside of Syracuse and, and, and UConn, did you have other colleges that were kind of aware or were you kind of like a secret? And I'm assuming after you went to the States and, and high school, that was when obviously your profile started blowing up and, and you started getting, I would assume, a lot more people trying to, trying to contact you. But like, yeah, what was the interest like uh, whilst you were in the UK? Were you still very much under the radar? Oh, uh, by the time when I well, I was under the radar when I was in UConn, but when I when I was in England, I mean, uh, when I went to uh, St. Thomas More, um, obviously because this is uh, we got to play a lot of competition, so I got to I got to be seen. You know, that's when uh, that's when uh, everybody started hearing about me. And uh, going to St. Thomas More actually and playing under uh, Jerry Quinn, uh, it was one of the best thing. Uh, that ever happened to me uh, basketball-wise because this is an all-boys all uh, boarding school. So all I got to do is, is, is go to school and just play basketball, and that's all I wanted to do, you know. So from early 6 in the morning, go to classes and, and then practice with the team. But uh, with Jerry Quinn, he allowed me to uh, to uh, handle, to, 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 to play in every pretty much every position in the game, you know. I got to handle the ball. I got to bring the ball up. I got to play the two. I got. He has an offense where everybody moves, you know. So he utilized my skill very well, you know, uh, from the passing ability to where he put me defensively and how blocking shots and whatnot. So, so it was uh, one of the biggest move. And obviously, not to say that uh, certain skills I didn't have when I was uh, at uh, at uh, Brixton. It just uh, did not ha- did not did not I didn't have the need for it to use them at the time because I was the biggest guy in the, on the team. So uh, so going to St. Thomas More, I got to play all kind of position, and then coming back, uh, and that's when uh, Rough and Ready was showing my handles and stuff like that because it's just the improvement that uh, was happening. When you talk about your your physical uh, growth and development, obviously, you know I think you're six eleven. Uh, at what point, at what point were you clearly like tall? Like you know, were, were you thirteen, fourteen, six eight, six nine? Uh, you know, by the time you went to the states, sixteen, seventeen. Like how tall were you? Uh, and kind of, I guess, what position had you naturally been playing? I guess before uh, St. Thomas More. Um, uh, when I started playing basketball. Um... I wasn't, maybe I was just a little over six feet or so. Uh, uh, but I, there's, there's a year where I just went, boom. I just grew so fast, you know, just left like, like what the hell just happened to you? You know, like if you see me this year, the next year is like the growth spurt was just like crazy. And that's when, that's when I, I, I when I started playing basketball, we did not have uh, uh, a structure. All we just did is just like, you go out there and do whatever you want to do, you know, type of thing, because it's just a pickup, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I grew, I grew that time very fast. And, and, and coming to London, actually in London, they allowed me uh, to play uh, uh, with, with Jimmy and Jabbar and up. Uh, Played inside, I played outside, but mostly was just shooting. I didn't handle as much as I did afterward. But a lot of coaches that I came across, besides obviously Jimmy and uh, my high school coach, is mostly the, the at the time big man with skills. You have to play under the basket, you know. <laughs> so it's always like went in the top of the perimeter, you know. But now I see everybody's like 
what are you doing down there? Shoot a three. <laughs> so the, the change is so much different, you know. So, but um, I'm 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 grateful that I had coaches that allowed me to 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 use my skill the way I wanted to play, just being a basketball player rather than just a position player. Yeah, I guess for context for people, like, and that's you know when when people talk about you know, your playing days, it was kind of, you were ahead of your time, you know, at 6'11", you could handle the ball, you could pass the ball, you could shoot the ball, you could play on the perimeter. Um, were there were there other players that you were looking up to as inspiration for that? Like, or, or was it very much just kind of, you know, when you went to the States, your coach there said, you know, you can start handling the ball a little bit and being on the perimeter and it just kind of happened naturally. Or were there, were there players before you, whether it's in the NBA or, or elsewhere, that you'd looked at as inspiration and said, you know what, like, regardless of my size, I want to be able to do a little bit of everything? Yeah, uh, I mean, it goes back to, like, uh, how I how I watch the games. It's, it's, uh, from the very start, I had, this, I had this mentality. It's like the NBA is the highest league that you can go to. So whenever I watch the NBA... I always watch everyone. For some reason, I watch from the point guards to, to the big man to to um, to guys that just come in and set picks and rebound. I always thought that if they are in the NBA, they're in the NBA for a reason. So maybe let me pick or understand or, or see what position they play and what they do and why this person is on a court or why that person is on a court. You know, so I, I try to study every player, you know, from watching the Jordan, the Gary Payton, to to all the way to Scottie Pippen, to Akeem Olajuwon, to Dikembe Mutombo, to Chris Dudley, you know. I, I just watch it all, you know. So, and, and the thing is, this is always, if I like a move, uh I will go and do it. And I will just go to the court and, and do it over and over and over. Because a lot of people think that some of my skills, they just come easy to me. But it's just a, so much work that I have to put in on one move. You know, just like I got to get this move because I like it. In, you know, in basketball, you will never use so many moves. But the more you learn, you'll come in a situation where your reaction got to be like a one-second reaction type of thing. And, and, you know, you make a move right away. So... The more moves you have, the more, you know, you have, you know, you, you, you have weapons, you know. Yeah. So, so that's how I looked, how I looked to, to, to the game. There's, there's, uh, there's obviously still a couple, of, a couple of grainy clips on YouTube. Uh, one which I, I feel like most likely would have been filmed by Greg Tanner, uh, streetball.co.uk, and kind of you got a guy on the perimeter, yeah. and you're, you're winding up uh, with a crossover, and you give him the, the left-to-right Allen Iverson sort of shake, um, which, again, for a guy your size was just, it's just something that wasn't really seen. Um, you know, when you, when you think about those moves, like, who were you looking at to develop that handle? Who, like... Which players were you looking at and seeing that and saying, this is what I'm going to learn to be able to do? Uh, the crossover move is usually was... Most of the time, the guy I watch is either uh, the Far Marbury and um, Grand Hill. Like, Iverson has the speed. Uh, Stefan Marbury has speed. They have different crossover, you know? Iverson will cross you over because his speed is ridiculous, you know, and left to right and right to left is ridiculous. Stefan Marbury is a little different than Iverson. 
And then Grand Hill always looked like a slow-mo, but it wasn't a slow-mo, you know? It's just that little cross and then boom, it got you and, and he has a quick first step, you know? So I just look into different ones, but those three guys, I always look into how they handle the ball, you know, and how they, uh, they go about it. Did you, do you find you were able to catch a lot of defenders off guard? Like, because you would receive the ball on the perimeter and they would think, well, this is just going to be like every other big guy. He's not going to be able to do anything. He's just going to pass it. And then you'd sort of face them up and then put some move on them and be able to get to the hoop or whatever. Like, were you catching a lot of guys because of your size and what you're able to do with the ball? Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people that I played against, uh, sometimes they don't know that I will handle the ball like that. And some guys or some defender could be quicker than you. But sometimes you can size them up too. You know, you can come in between the legs and go left. The next time you can come back and go left again. The third time you go left again. The fourth time he's thinking that you're going left, and boom, you cross him over and he's gone, you know. So you just got to play. You can't, you can't size them up that them understanding that you're about to come and cross them over. Yeah. So, so how, yeah. how, how many years of high school did you do? I did two years. So you went out for your junior year and senior year? Yeah, I went senior year and postgraduate, actually. Ah, okay. Because at the time, yeah, yeah, at the time I had to get, uh, I didn't have all of my grades, so I had to do an extra year. And then, and then in terms of your game translating from the UK to the US, you know, did you find that, like, how different did you find the game between between sort of playing in Brixton and then and then playing at, at uh, St Thomas More? Um, and di- did you find you were able to translate your skills uh, relatively easily across between the two? Uh, from the beginning, uh, when I went to St Thomas More before the season started, we had uh, we were playing AAU basketball, and uh, it was my first game in AAU basketball. Obviously, we were playing pickups and stuff like that, but pickups is pickups. So the first game. I played this against this guy. I can't remember who it was, but all he did is just body me, you know, and the game was faster. It's like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what's going on here, you know? So I wasn't, I stopped playing his type of game in a way, you know, just trying to be physical and he's being physical and I wasn't thinking about the game at that time. So it's just like, that's like, welcome to the US, this ain't going to be easy type of thing, you know? So it's just it's just a good reminder right away that if you want to get wherever you want to get, you have to really, you know, put in work. You know, yeah. you got to go in uh, and bust your butt and put in some work to get to where you want to get. So that was my introduction to basketball in the U.S. When you talk about the work that you put in, the work ethic, you know, like you said, you, you go to St. Thomas More, it's kind of it's in the middle of nowhere. You know, you just got your studies and you just got basketball. What was a typical day looking like? How early were you getting up? What what was sort of training were you doing? How much team practice were you having? How much were you working on your own individual skills as well? Um, but in St. Thomas More, usually uh, uh, in the morning, I was on a scholarship. So on uh, the scholarship, I had to wake up early. Uh, at the time, I was uh, I have to clean the dishes uh, in the cafeteria, part of the scholarship, you know. So I'll wake up at five in the morning. I know I got to get there before all of the students get there. So um, as soon as they come in, I obviously clean up the dishes and, and just I have my breakfast early before everybody else and then clean the dishes and try to run. Get come. I usually go and run uh, on the track uh, in the morning and then I just shower and go to classes. 
and from the classes i uh, uh after the classes we have we have practice uh before the season obviously it's just individual workouts and then you you play scrimmages and whatnot but when the season is start we have the practice with the coach and uh, uh the coach was very good so we work on our game uh after but you have study hall after that so but you you have the weekend as well where you're free where you just be on a basketball court the whole weekend you know yeah and uh and we didn't go anywhere we were just in the school <laughs> so at what point did it really start clicking and did your profile start growing you know i've i've got your numbers which i'm assu- I, i'm assuming they're from your 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 final year uh at st thomas war you averaged 22 points 12 rebounds five blocks a game obviously pretty solid numbers um but yeah, at what point did did uh, kind of did you feel it was really clicking, and did other people start taking notice of like you know this this six eleven kid who can do it, a bit of everything, um, who's dominating? Uh, I think most most of it was I was in St Thomas more because uh, our prep school competition was high, you know, and uh, also in summer league in, in Connecticut. So I used to go to the summer league and play where all of the pros, guys that are playing pros uh, come at the time was, um, you have Ray Allen, you have Katina Mobley, you have uh, Vin Baker, uh, Marcus Camby, all of those guys that used to come. So I was younger and I was playing, and, and when I started playing against them, I started doing doing well, you know? So that's when a lot of people start talking about me uh, at the time. And you'd already made your commitment to UConn you know, I guess there was a lot of, well, was there still a lot of college interest? Was there any part of you that sort of started thinking, oh, I've got a lot more options, I'm going to potentially reconsider and go somewhere else? Or was it always very much, you know, UConn's where I'm going to go, that's where I, I committed early and, and I'm going to see that through? Uh, I committed early, so <laughs> I, uh, I was loyal, you know. <laughs> so I committed early and uh, I have pretty much maybe every school was uh, recruiting me, but Arizona, my coach was very, my high school coach was high on Arizona, as far as I remember, because um, uh, he felt like my game would have fit with, with uh, Lute Olson at the time. Um, and then uh, you have, I don't know, Arenas, Richard, Richard Jefferson, all of those guys that were playing at that time. So he, he, he think that um, Arizona was a perfect fit for my game before I went to UConn. But I already committed to UConn, and, and I was like, now nah, I'm, straight up going to UConn, you know. And so during the summers, you were, you were coming back, I'm assuming during the summers, whilst you were at high school, you were coming back and playing in Rough and Ready, had that already started, or was it not until you went to college that you were coming back in the summers and playing in, in Rough and Ready? Uh, I used to come back, the first Rough and Ready, I'm not sure what year it was. I think it was about That's 96. Just, I think it's... It was about 96, the 96 first one. Is, Yeah, it's just before I left. Uh, I left uh, UK for the US. And I think that's when I got, I think I was 17. That's when I got uh, the MVP. Uh, my first year that they gained MVP. Um, as I remember, they gave me a, a big trophy, which my mom is still have, and a TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, shout out to uh, to uh, Matthew Ryder and Hosanna at the time, where, you know, they were doing an incredible job. And I remember Matthew Ryder always used to come. Uh, when I was in St. Thomas More, and actually he used to come too when I was at UConn, you know? He's like, a Joe, man, got the rough and ready. Everybody's coming this year. I'm like, I'm in, I'm coming, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, they did an incredible job with that. 
what what um you know that's that's when when people kind of talk about talk about you there's all these legendary stories from rough and ready like what are your memories of rough and ready what made the tournament so special um and i guess yeah what are the standout sort of moments or games that that come to mind when you think about your times playing in in brixton and for rough and ready um rough and ready first of all um brixton runs um was on a sunday on a sunday where we used to have every most of the great players uh, around around London, they used to come on a Sunday. So pretty much it's like put five every you know teams together, like maybe six team or seven team or something like that. You win, you stay on a court. Those runs used to be crazy. You know, it used to be people we used to go at it. And obviously, when Rough and Ready ca- came and uh, it split into region, it became like everybody was like, yo, it's, it's going to be a dogfight. So it, uh, everybody wanted to win, and everybody wanted to play against the best competition that they could play against, you know? So it, it was hard to find that. So when a competition like that comes through, and you know there's a trophy, and you know there's just a packed gym, it's, it's, it's everywhere, and it becomes... It becomes everything, you know. So every year it comes, there's a, there's a lot of talk about that. There's this, you know, the guys from the South and the guys from the, you know, everybody's like, yo, we're going to see you this year. We're going to see you this year, you know. Maybe you won it last year, but we're coming through this year. So it became a really competition where in the off season you're going to go there and, and get yourself better because you know that if not working on your game, all of the other guys are going to be coming in working on the game, you know? They're going to be coming in ready, and you don't want to have that. And that's one of the greatest things about, about, uh, about um, rough and ready, you know, is you put the game way up. Are there any legendary battles that, that stick out in your mind? I'm sure I remember people telling me about you versus Drew Sullivan at rough and ready. Yes, us and Drew Sullivan, not just rough and ready with, with, with Joe White team, um, and we were always going at it, you know. It's, it, we we're always we we watching each other. They win, we win here. They win, we win. But we always be like, we're ready. We know what the days we're gonna play them because maybe they beat us last year or, or they beat us the game before. We gotta go back and, and beat them, you know. So it, it, it's always like I like I. That's how I highly talk about uh, Andrew Sullivan because those are the battles, you know, got us all better. Do you think during the summers when you were coming back, people were aware of the attention that you were getting uh, in the States? Or was it because of the fact that you had left, you know, were you kind of starting to go under the radar in the UK? Kind of people had forgotten about you because they weren't seeing you during the season. Yeah, because when Matthew Ryder again used to come and he used to tell me that all the time that, yo, you need to come back. Everybody is talking about you. Everybody's want to come. Everybody want to come want to see you know and rough and ready this year all of the players so so at that time actually it was um it was hard to see guys go into a uh, division one you know or go into the u.s and uh let alone do well and uh and, and when you do well you make noise so it becomes like okay maybe he made it uh, he's doing well in the school. I can I can go and make it as well. You know, not saying that I was better than everybody else, but my opportunity may maybe came before other guys. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So I just uh, 
it, 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 it just with that, it's a bust. And, and, and part of that, too, is just like, okay, we have an opportunity. Like, guys can come out of, you know, from Brixton or, or from East London or from South London, you know, whatever, to go to the, U, to the U.S. And, and get a scholarship and get to play and, and follow the dreams. And so uh, when it came to sort of finishing high school, you know, going to UConn, that, that first year, were you academically ineligible? There was you kind of had to sit out that that first season. Yeah, I had to sit out because uh, I was short with my SATs. So uh, I think uh, yeah, I, I I just missed it. So I never got to uh, play. I had to sit out. I have to be redshirted. But I was uh, I was just part of the team. I was playing. I was uh, I was practicing. I was doing everything besides just being in the game. And actually being in the practices and, and playing in practices and do your, doing your thing, all of the guys that get to see you, you know. At the time, it was uh, Richard Hamilton, Khaled Alamine, you know, Jake Vosco, Kevin Freeman, Ricky Moore, all of those guys is, is, uh, and got to win the championship, you know. So I got to have the NCAA ring. I didn't play in the game, but I was just part of the team, which I still, uh, you know, have my friends have the rings now. So... So it's it's just it's cool, but it's, it's actually great, great experience uh, to be around that team. What was it like stepping foot on campus uh, for the first time, and and kind of I guess experiencing college life and co- and college basketball in that in that first year? It was it was it was different to me because where I was coming from, a school where it was about maybe four hundred kids in that school, you know. So going to the university. It was just totally different um, being in a, a, a in a big arena. Actually, UConn had two arenas, one in downtown where like maybe 20,000 people and another one on campus with 10,000 people. So it's just like uh, it's a totally different environment. Uh, but maybe at the time, 14 to 15,000 students on campus, you know, and you, you, you have classes maybe – three, four hours a day, three times, four, four days a week or something like that. So it wasn't like what you were accustomed to in, uh, at the school. So you have a little bit of time, but you also got to pass and you got to do well in the school in order to play. So it was just totally different and uh, trying to fit in and whatnot. But it was, it was, an, it was an easy fit in because uh, we had a great chemistry with that time with the team. And that's one of the reasons we were the championship at the time. So the, all of the guys that were there, they make it easy for you. You know, you said that obviously you, you weren't able to play in the actual games, but you were practicing with the team all year. You know, you've got two future NBA players in Richard, Ham- Richard Hamilton and, and Khalid Alamin. When you talk about sort of matching up at practice and how you were doing on the floor in those in those practices, did you find it, relatively okay like did you feel you were easily able to compete or did you still feel like you know you were a bit younger and you kind of had more development to do like when you're talking about you know matching up with future pros kind of where did you see yourself fitting in comparison to them actually before i mean before that because i was exposed to some of the pros in a summer league you know so i get to play again i've got to play against uh, some of the pros and uh, you know in lamar R. Odom and Ray Allen, as I said earlier. So just coming in, I did not feel at all that uh, I wouldn't make it or I wouldn't fit in. I thought that I'm just like, I have my game too. Like, you know, I'm coming in with confidence that if I'm here, 
I'm here, you know, let's just get to work, you know, type of thing. So, so I didn't, I didn't feel that. Oh, I felt like it just having a great team where if I do the best I can do, I can learn from some of the guys in here, you know? Yeah. And then, and then winning, winning that national championship, was it difficult for you uh, to kind of be a part of it, but obviously not be a part of it on the floor? Like, did you find that really challenging? And I guess something that maybe added motivation for the next season sort of coming in or, or, or were you kind of very much just, oh, you know, I, I accept it is what it is. Like, this is the way it's got to be for this, this year. I mean, it is what it is. But as, as a basketball player, uh, you know, every basketball player want to get on a court. Period. You know, that's your that's your no matter what it is. And just having a year off, um, you can work on your game and you can get better. But it, it's nothing like playing in the game. It's nothing like uh, seeing the work that you have been doing all year and put them in a situation where you see how much you have improved and whatnot. So so sitting there, it hurts a little bit, but it is what it is you know this is you just got accepted and you, uh, what do you do next you know to keep it moving so then heading into the into the next year like obviously there's the, the, the famous sports illustrated article which is always spoken about uh where you had a kind of a feature talking about you know your level of talent um how good you could be and there, there's a real famous quote uh when a reporter asks Khalid Elamine uh about you and he says you're the best player on this was when you were this was when you were uh, in in your first year before you were playing, and uh, he said you're the best player on a team. And the reporter said, "Well, outside of you and Richard Hamilton," and he was like, "No, no, you're the best player on the team." When that article came out, um, you know, I assume like, obviously you read it. Like, what was your reaction to reading it and and seeing that, and kind of I guess seeing the uh, attention uh, that you were getting and the belief that other people had in kind of how good uh, you were and could be. I mean, it, it goes back to, obviously, uh, uh, being six foot 11 and uh, playing and practicing and, and doing things that not a lot of six eleven do. So it becomes like, man, what, what, you know, what the hell is this type of thing? Uh, so obviously, uh, for me, uh, it's, it's a great feeling when, when you have your teammate thinking up highly about you like that, you know, just practicing with them and playing with them like that, you know. So it's something that uh, I, uh, I, I take proudly, but I don't take it uh, lightly as well, you know what I'm saying? So you have a lot of things, you have a lot, you know, so the name is out there, the hype is out there, everything is out there, you know, when you get to play, you know, are you ready? What do you get to do, you know? To, to, to prepare yourself to come in and, and play and, and show people that uh, what you're capable of. Did you feel pressure? I mean, you always, for me, I always feel pressure whenever, before I play every game, you know? But as soon as I play, it's just, it's a basketball, you know? You just go in there and, and do your thing. So I didn't feel, I didn't feel the pressure. And so going into that, that first season, uh, on the court playing kind of what were your expectations of yourself going in? And then I guess, how did the, the reality uh, meet those expectations or not meet those expectations? Like kind of what were your, your own expectations? What were you expecting out of yourself uh, on the court? And then I guess, how did that, that first season go for you? The first season I would say is uh, it was, it was, it was for me, it was okay season. 
uh, I wish I could have done more or play more. But at the same time, it's like a lot of people don't know this. I was playing with an injury at the time. So I had an injury on my foot where I could not really work out. I couldn't do a thing. I was just take four Advil a day to practice, you know? So I just do that. And then in the games, take four Advil and practice. So what it is, well, my foot was in pain where I could not really walk that much, you know, or play that much. So what I do is just try to go to classes, come back, do my stretching. Uh, before practice, I take my pills and then practice. And obviously they used to, they took x-ray and everything and they used to tell me it's tendonitis. But years later, it turned out to be like way more than that, you know, and I needed a reconstruction surgery, you know, with that. So, I mean, part of it is I should have took an MRI. Part of it is, is a school. Part of it is myself. I should have looked after myself as well. But at the same time, I was just a comparator. I thought, like, if I can get on a court, I can get on a court and I can play, you know? So that's part of the uh, part of the thing that I had to go through with, 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 uh, when I was at UConn. Yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just part of life, part of game. Did you feel, you know, there's all these stories about uh, <laughs> kind of players that are injured or, or whatever where you know a college program might put some type of pressure on them to play you know it's a, it's a storyline you see in movies as well a lot like where where rather than putting the, the the individual player first they're putting the the program first and saying you know we need you to play to win or, or whatever and so as a result you know you might not get the medical treatment that, that you necessarily need like did, was there any part of you that felt kind of like pressured to I guess almost play down the seriousness of the injury because, like you said, you did end up having to have reconstruction surgery on your foot. You know, a couple of years later, right? Um, I mean, I, I I don't know about a lot of people's stories and whatnot, but but for for me, uh, going on the court knowing that I have a pain in my foot, but there is nothing showing in X-ray, really. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, okay, maybe you need to strengthen, or maybe you need to do this. But actually what it was is like uh, the tendon that is connected to your leg. We're already popped. We're gone. So it's just like a bone-to-bone -bone type of thing. So it was just a painful. But I, I wouldn't say that the school had put in uh, It was a pressure for them for me to play. Maybe it's just what they see, you know. And sometimes some people can just see maybe you're not tough or you're not trying to play or something like that. But when you have pain, you're the only one that understand your body more than anybody else, you know? hundred percent. Were you getting, were you getting, uh, you know, you may, you kind of slightly alluded to it there, but were you getting sort of blowback from fans or, or, uh, you know, other people about kind of like why you weren't playing more or, or performing at a higher level with kind of the, the hype that you had around you? Uh, it's just, for me, it was like, Okay, yeah, I wanted to play even when I'm injured, you know? But obviously sometimes when you're playing injured, you feel like you're still at your best. But sometimes you're not really at your best, you know what I'm saying? So a lot of things like maybe your game is slowed down and stuff like that. And, and that's kind of happened to me the years to come that I had to change my game after my surgeries and stuff like that because there's no you can't explode anymore and you can't do the things that you used to do or run the same way that you used to do. So you find a way to, to do other things and becomes a shooter or become something different. So it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 not, it's not easy. It's not easy to play um, with an injury. Did it, 
at the same time, you know, in amongst all of this, you're kind of, I guess, living living your dream in, in the US. And at the same time, there's obviously all this stuff going on in, in, in Sudan and the civil war. Did you find that to be challenging mentally as well, knowing that, that, that back home there was all this um, this strife and this war and this and, and, and these problems? Did you find that to be a distraction at all or... Uh, or was it very much kind of you were able to focus on on your basketball stuff whilst you whilst you were there? I mean, it's it's, it's more uh, it's more it helps you in the way you know. I mean, obviously everything about war is sad. Anything to do with you know people losing life or, or people fleeing from their own country and stuff like that because of unrest that happening is always not a good place to be. Uh, but for me, it's always a mentality where. Uh, things can be worse, you know? And also, there's so many other kids that are, uh, would do anything to be in a place where you're at right now, you know? So you have that opportunity, you have that chance to uh, to not just make a name for yourself, do something great as well. So, and I know a lot of South Sudanese at the time, they, they, they're watching and, and they look at me as, as a that you know you made it to to the u.s you made it to university you are very lucky so that's the way you to do well not just for yourself but for everybody else yeah yeah 100 percent um so going into the the second year it was a second year I, I think that that you ended up obviously leaving well announcing you were transferring mid-season is, is that right yeah it's mid-season it's, it started really it started really with like maybe five games or so into the season. And I just, uh, at the time, I was like, man, I, I don't think, like, the way things are right now, I don't think it will be a good place to be. Um, so I wanted to leave. And that's the time, I think, Karan Butler, Talib Brown, and those guys were in the team. So I decided that, okay, it's maybe for me to make a change, you know? Uh, I want to go somewhere where I can play, um, and uh, that's what I make it. I made I made up my mind. They really wanted me to stay. Um, the coach wanted me to stay, and uh, he believed that more great things to come ahead. But I wanted. I just wanted to change. I wasn't. I wasn't. I became unhappy, you know, because it's it's just like it's like the injury you're going through. You're in pain, and then you feel like you can play, but you're really not doing the things that you used to do, but in your mind that you feel like you're doing that and and you want to play, you know? So it's just like, it's so many things are going on. So it's like, okay, let me, let me, let me find a fresh start. Let me go somewhere and, and it starts somewhere, you know? Yeah. And that's when uh, Fairfield University came up. Yeah, I, f I found uh, the original one of the original articles that uh, announced that you were, you were transferring and kind of had some some quotes from um, Calhoun in there, basically talking about the fact that you know you wanted to play more and, and he was essentially saying that he, he wanted you to stay, but you were very much feeling like you you wanted a fresh start. Um, and at that point, the, yeah. the article actually said that uh, even though it was Fairfield and someone else, Central Connecticut State maybe, uh, had showed interest. Yeah. Like you were actually at that point talking about going out of state and trying to go as far far away as possible to kind of like have a completely fresh start. What what 
yeah. I guess, what made you decide to to go to Fairfield? Why did you feel like that was the the place for you? Was there a former one of the, your former assistants from UConn that was was coaching there at that point? No, no, no. No, they, it, uh, else. No. it was uh, actually it was the Fairfield. Like when I wanted to leave UConn, I was like, okay, there's let me make a choice where I can go and just play. You know. Uh, it wouldn't matter if it's a mid-major or is it uh, 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 big schools. You know, there's uh, actually there's some big schools that want me to go to, but I was just like, let me just make a choice, my choice. That uh, Fairfield came to Fairfield and recruited me, uh, Tim O'Toole and Jerry Hobby. Jerry Hobby actually played with my cousin uh, when they were at Fordham University. That's an assistant that you were probably. Uh, uh, trying to talk or talking about so he's one of the guys that i knew before and um he just uh they just made it easy for me when i come to uh, fairfield university and uh what type of position that they will put me in and and, and how they're going to utilize my talent and whatnot and stuff like that so it was it was uh it made sense and it was closer and it was in connecticut and uh yeah that's why i i decided to go there in amongst all of this were you still thinking you know, I want to go to the NBA, that's the goal? Um, or were you more thinking, you know, I want to just have a successful college career and get back to sort of enjoying the game, you know, showing what I can do, getting healthy, showing what I can do? Kind of what was your, your, your mindset and your your future trajectory, your goals at, at that point? Oh, my goal has always been, uh, obviously goal has always been to make it to the NBA, you know, and I felt, I felt like whenever I can go and I can showcase my talent and I can do whatever... I need to do. I'll be able to make it, you know. So, uh, so being a Fairfield, it, it was that. The thing is, leaving leaving University of Connecticut, I was still injured, so I haven't dealt with my injury yet, you know. So going to Fairfield, uh, I got to I got to sit out a semester, and I think I played around December, yeah, around December, and then uh, yeah, I had I had a good season, but. The thing, and I had second team, all Mac or something like that. But at that time, I was still playing in pain. I was still the painkillers and doing the same thing. So I never really got to work on my game. And uh, and that summer after the season, I got to go and see a doctor in in uh, in New York, and that's when I took the MRI and look at my foot, and that's when they found out that. I've been playing with, you know, I didn't have tendon and my whole foot is pretty much damaged that I would need to a reconstruction surgery, you know. So that's when I got the reconstruction surgery pretty much. And then I got to sit. I, I really I came back at the end of the season playing like five minutes the following year. And the year I, and that was it. That was really my career, like four years with uh, probably a year and a half playing with injuries and whatnot. Wow. You know, when you when you look back on your your college career, do you have any regrets about I don't know whether it's not you, whether or not you you know taking the injury more seriously and trying to see more doctors, or do you think at the time based on what you knew, like you've obviously you'd you'd seen you know you'd done the X rays, they weren't showing anything, kind of you'd done everything that you thought you were meant to be doing and couldn't quite work out what what the issue was. Um, no, I do not. I do not regret anything because. Uh, I'm a believer anything happened for a reason, whatever, you know, uh, your road is your road, you know, that's your purpose in life, wherever it leads you, it will lead you, you know, so 
for me, it's all like experience, you know, it's challenges that you face. How would you, how would you try to uh, 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 face those challenges, you know, and, and go on forward with that, you know? So even like leaving, leaving, you know, I mean, leaving, I think because we was uh, leaving Fairfield after I finished, I had some, I had some workout. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is, is I had the workout and I was going to have workouts in the front of NBA scouts and whatnot and stuff like that. So I'm coming in, you know, I feel like I feel good, you know, so I'm warming up. So just at the warm up, I hear a pop, pop. It's just like, what the hell is going on? I broke my fist, my tarsal, you know, on my leg, on my foot, just before I just start, you know, going in. So I'm like, man, what the hell? I think it's, uh, I called Lou, uh, Lou all at the time. He was, uh, he knew a doctor that he was a friend. His is uh, the doctor's son that used to go to school with him. So I was like, yo, I just hurt my foot. You know, uh, Dr. Scott, uh, that's the name actually, you know, can you book an appointment? I'll go see them, you know? So I'll go see the doctor and they told me it's like the way my foot is, it's like, if you continue playing, you're always going to actually break it. I, I, I really didn't want to listen to that. I was like, no way I'm listening to this, you know? Um, so I went to see my same doctor that did my surgery. So he was like, okay, what we can do is, is, is uh, we will put the biggest screw on your uh, fifth metatarsal of the bone, and hopefully it will be okay, you know, to go on and play. So I did it, and I did the surgery, and that's when I came back to London. And when I came back to London and I rehab and I start working out, I think it's London Towers or Crystal Palace at the time it was uh, a Crystal Palace anyway. And I I actually uh, broke it a little bit, my foot running. So I was like, man, the doc is right, you know? So I was like, but no way, no way I'm stopping. So, so I just like, I rehabbed that whole year, you know, just rehab and working out. Uh, and then I got to go to uh, the summer. I got to uh, work for a workout for Brighton, uh, Nick Nurse. And, you know, Nick Nurse took me, you know, and I, 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 I start playing and I couldn't believe I, I was like, I couldn't believe that I was going to play. So, you know, it goes back to like when I think about it. Uh, it's probably the most thing that I'm proud about more than anything else, you know? So that's why I don't really look into that I regret whatever happened to me. You know, I don't regret that because I didn't think that I would even play again, you know, going on and playing in the BBL and and end up playing for Brighton, end up playing for, for Scottish Rocks and, and Guilford and whatnot. So, so for me... I, 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 you know, I was happy and I was just like, okay, how can I, you know, move on and how can I keep improving and how can I get better? You know, just as it's stuff like that. It takes you back, but it helps you a lot with everything that I do now, the mentality that when you have challenges and how to face challenges and how to go about things. And, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a great life experience, I would say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, anytime you like, 
that thing anytime you go through hardship at the time it's obviously not very pleasant and not it's not something that you're enjoying but years later you can always look back on it and say well those lessons and the things that i can have taken yeah, away yeah. from that have helped me in so many other ways which you don't realize at the time when yeah. obviously it's just incredibly incredibly frustrating um so is that so that was so that first year after college you spent the entire season that was rehabbing and, and getting your foot right and then so then when you signed with brighton which was I guess essentially your your rookie contract that was actually a year after you had left college. Yeah, a year after I left college and then I had yeah, I set out after I left college I set out one year. Yeah. And then I just rehabbed and then I went to Brighton. And that 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 Brighton roster was pretty was pretty solid, no? Like uh, what are your memories of your your year in Brighton? Uh yeah, it was a uh... It was really, uh, it was really a group grade of guys that uh, we were playing together, uh, and I remember, uh, I remember starting, um, starting practices and whatnot. Uh, Drew, Yorick, uh, Tony Holly, Ryan Huntley, Duncan, Steve Lapore. We were, uh, we started the season really hot. We were beating everyone pretty much, you know. Uh, we were beating any, everyone. We got to uh, the cup finals, the trophy finals. But then most of the guys got hurt. And at the time, there's a time where we were like four guys. Only four, I mean, five guys, only five guys are playing, you know. So you have to recruit one more or two more guys to be on a bench in case of, you know. So you got four guys playing 40 minutes. And, and it was just... It, it became, uh, it took a toll on us, you know. Yeah. Uh, we were good. We we're obviously, Nick Nurse is a hell of a coach, uh, a great mind, a great thinker. Uh, um, yeah, he always, and you can see by what he's doing in the NBA today. So it was, it was, it was, it was a great team. I wish we stayed more years together, you know. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we only played one year and, and that was it, you uh, know. I was going to say, you know, obviously Nick Nurse is, is one of the success stories of the BBL in terms of, you know, using it as a, as a proving ground to hone his skills and now has gone on to doing great things in, in the NBA. Was it clear at that yeah. point, you know, playing under him, were you thinking this guy has sort of got a lot of talent and he's a very good coach and has potential to do a lot more than just coaching in the BBL? Um, or, or was it still so early in his career that... Uh, Maybe it wasn't so obvious. Like, what kind of what your memories of him as a, as a coach back then? Um, my memories of him is is uh, he's he's uh, a coach where he like from what I see, like he understands and he sees talent, you know. And you can tell by the way he recruit he recruited his players. Even uh, prior to my time that uh, going to uh, Brighton. He has hell of a team before that, and and they were doing well. Uh, and his thing is always um, he put guys in a position to succeed offensively, and that obviously just knowing the guys' talent, what they're good at, and, and put them in a place where you you're really good at, you know, where either he's on a block or either you're a good pick and roll guy or you're good coming off the screen and all of that stuff. So. So he's, 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 he's really good at that. And you can see it now. You can see it in everywhere he has gone. He has won, you know. Yeah. He, he won and, and he continued to win. So you did your, your season in Brighton. And then 2005-2006, uh, uh, you were between um, 
Scottish Rocks and, and Guildford Heat. Is that right? Between the two? Yeah, actually, after yeah, after I left Brighton, and I don't know where it is the same. Um, I had to get a surgery. <laughs> I had to get a surgery on my right foot. So I had to go back to the States. Uh, I got a surgery. Was the original surgery and then I the came left foot? Back. Yeah, left foot. There's okay. no original surgery. Okay. So I had like maybe three surgeries on that. And then I have I have uh, surgery on my right, you know. So uh, uh, I went and I had my surgery. Uh, and then I came back and uh, got back in shape and rehab and, and got to play with, you know, I went to Scottish Rocks for a couple of months. I did not play that much, and then I uh, I decided to go to Guildford. Uh, and Despite all these injuries, like what was it that that kept you going? Was it purely just a, a love of the game, love of the game? Like you know, a lot of people in that situation when you you've been told by a doctor that you know if you keep on playing, you're going to keep breaking your foot and you should never really play again. Uh, at the same time, you know you're having a lot of injuries. Obviously, I mean this is you're clearly super trying and i think a lot of people at that point would just be like you know what like i'm done i'm gonna i'm gonna hang them up and i'm gonna look for a career where we're doing something else what was it that allowed you to persist that kept you kind of coming back to it and not giving up on it it's uh more to do of the love of the game really because that's how i i i started the game uh and uh i you know, in a sense, sometimes you don't think about it, but looking back to it now, it's just like challenges, you know, um, to compete, you're looking for challenge, um, still believing that you are capable of doing it, you know, and, and it becomes like a, 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 a battle where where your mind can only can can give up right away on things and be like, call it a career. Or you can look at it as in a different way and make things, uh, take it as a, develop a positive habits around it. You know what I'm saying? And at the end of the day, if the good outweigh the bad, why not doing it? Why not challenge your brain to see where it can take you, you know? Yeah. So those are the things that, yeah, when, when you look back to it, that's how you, that's how I, I you know, I think about it. And uh, yeah, it's a hell of a ride, man. Hello, a ride. The, the, uh, I, I did want to quickly touch upon 2007, 2008 uh, with Guildford. <coughs> excuse me. That um, that was the season they they went into Europe, right? And I'm pretty sure that was a season that almost bankrupt the entire club as well. Uh, I think. Yeah. What, what are your memories? Yeah. Sort of playing for them. Uh, you know, how was it competing in European competition? And I, you know, and also I guess sort of behind the scenes. You know, were you aware of the sort of the strain and the financial pressure the club was under from from you know trying to compete in in Europe? Oh man, it was uh, actually that team was very uh, a great group of guys in that team. Um, goes back first shout out to uh, Mike Martin, man. I wish him a speedy recovery. Man, man, he's a warrior, man. He's going through. A lot, but I'm sure that he'll he will he will go through it. Um, man, we had a lot of great guys in that team. The chemistry was 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 really great, you know. Uh, Dean, Roderick, you know, um, just a lot of guys. Uh, Dukes, um, and uh, just going and playing in Europe, uh, it was easy because uh, all of the guys wanted to win, and everybody played together, you know. Uh, PJ was the coach at the time. So it was, um, 
it was good experience. It was good experience. Even though we played against Ricky Rubio's and that, they 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 killed us at that game. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it was a it was a hell of experience, and the team was good. The chemistry was good, and um, yeah, we got we did well in BBL at the time, and I think in the cup as well. And then the next year was your your only stint outside of the UK as a pro, right? Which was in Slovakia for a little while. Yeah. How did that come about? And kind of, I guess, how, how, you know, how did you compare your experiences in the BBL compared to, you know, playing on the continent in Europe? Playing, going there, obviously my, my agent um, uh, was looking for a different place rather than uh, playing in the BBL. So we came up with uh, a team in Slovakia that was interested in me in Kocic, uh, Slovakia. And at the time, um, yeah, I, I, I agreed to go there. Uh, I would say, like, the talent is, is decent. Um, I think any team in the BBL can compete there. Um, the thing is about them was um, the availability of facilities and, and your workout. You get to work out whenever you want. You got early morning workouts and night workouts and stuff like that. And it's actually really helped me um, to get back. And, and actually, it was the best I have felt in a long time, you know, uh, since I had my injuries. So I started feeling good when that's when I played uh, played with them. Um, and, yeah, after that, that was it. I, I could have went on and played again. But after that, I just decided to hang them. And that's when I came to South Sudan. Didn't you, didn't you do a year of London Capitals after that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. For a short time, for a short time, for like, yeah, for the same season, maybe like four or five games or something like that, something like that. I can't even remember. And then it was, yeah, and that was it. What made you decide, what made you to make that decision to hang them up? Um, it just, I thought it was time, you know, I was older and I'm like, okay, if I play one year or two more year or three more, I'm going to hang them up anytime soon, you know? And at the time, we were doing a lot with, with, with the foundation and basketball in South Sudan and stuff like that. So I was like, I, I'd rather just jump into that now rather than keep playing, you know. That, that primarily has been your, your role since, since stopping playing. It's working for the Loal Deng Foundation sort of in a, a sort of basketball development role. Can you kind of explain, I think, can you kind of give us an explanation of kind of what it is that, that you do and what you've been doing? Uh, with the basketball, it started really with the camps. The camp, I think, the camp is started uh, two thousand and five, maybe two thousand and six, something like uh, something around that time. Uh, with Daniel Seso at the time, and we used to talk with Lou, and uh, Lou was willing, wanted to do the camp, and you know that's when we started doing the camp, and that was like my involvement was so uh, in organizing, and it was uh, also. Uh, coaching in the camp and then developing, you know. So that's been that's been the role. And then it went on and the camp changed and Steve took over. And I just worked closely with Steve and the wall and, and, and whatnot to, to to enhance the camp and see what it can be done every year. And obviously coaching. <clears throat> you know, we've kind of not really spoken about him, but it would be a miss to not mention... Uh, Luol and <clears throat> see, I got something in my throat. Um, mentioned Luol and obviously the the career that that he went on to to have. Um, I'd be interested to kind of hear, like you know, I've I dug up a few different pieces talking about you know h- him saying that it, 
you know, a lot of people kind of credit Manute for uh, introducing him to the game, but it, he kind of said, well, actually, you know, Manute taught you and it was actually you that primarily taught him in his in his younger days and sort of were, were his, was his early basketball experiences. I guess, it, you know, seeing everything that he's done, I assume, you know, makes you feel incredibly proud. When you look back on the sort of the journey that he's been through and, and what he's done, like, what kind of your, uh, what's your kind of take on the whole situation? Like, when you, when you look at it, you know, at what point did you think this this kid has a massive amount of talent and could go on to doing to, to do great things? And are there any sort of nice stories about him as a as a young player coming up uh, that stick out in your mind when you kind of realised uh, sort of I guess how much talent he had and, and what he could go on to do within basketball? Yeah, I mean, first it's like uh, for us coming from a basketball family. It helps, you know. Um, obviously, not just myself that played. My, my my brother played. My sister Rick played. My other sister Chair played. My brother Quay played. My brother uh, Ding Ding Dinamo played. So it, it's just and Lou obviously. So around the house is all basketball. Everything is basketball, you know. Obviously, we, it's a big family, and we have a you know fight on TV. What table we need to put into Watson and stuff like that. Uh, with Luol, Luol was into, into football more than uh, anything, you know. Uh, so he was loving football. And actually, my brother, when I was in the U.S., um, that's when Luol started playing, uh, when I went to U.S. Um, and he was playing uh, soccer at the time. But my older brother, Deng Deng, I think he's the one that took him to Brixton. And um, they start showing him, like, yo, you should come and play basketball. Basketball is a better sport. And then from there, it became, you know, since then, he stuck with basketball. And, and they started playing. Now, when I used to come back, uh, uh, obviously, it's, 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 uh, we used to, he, he used to challenge me all the time. When I come back to Brixton, you want to play, you know, let's play one-on-one and stuff like that. I'm like, man, you're not ready, bro, <laughs> you know? You know, you know, with that, you know, obviously, uh, when you have uh, brothers and, you know, close friends and whatnot, they always compete in a way, even if you're not competing physically, you compete in somewhere around, you know. I look up to my older brother, Ding Ding, and obviously he's the guy that, you know, I just want to, you know, I just want to pass him and whatnot. And uh, Luol probably is the same. He want to pass me, want to pass Akwey, he want to pass uh, Ding Ding and, and, and whatnot. So... So with that, it helps. So when he became good, you obviously, you know, you ain't going to ask for another one-on-one anymore, you know. So, but uh, the thing about him is he fell in love with the game, but what people don't uh, see or don't realize all the time, his work ethic was just incredible, you know. Uh, and, and he did whatever he can do, you know, to make it. And when he going to Blair Academy with my sister, it was actually my sister that was going to go. And it was it was um, my coach, uh, one of the assistant coach, uh, Carl Hobbs, is from UConn that I spoke with uh, Blair Academy coach about my sister. And then Luol came along, and uh, and then you know I think I, I I'm not sure, but Coach Montagna maybe was saying that. Uh, if he was a half as good as a Joe, I would take him, you know, but he went on and, you know, <laughs> and became something special. So, so yeah, uh, his work ethic was, was incredible. He worked on his game all the time. He, he, he trying to get better. Um, 
uh, and he has a mission. He had he had a goal, you know. And the goal always is is to reach the goal as as high as he uh, his talent can take him, you know. And not necessarily making making money and succeeding is more of like the end goal. What is your end goal? Follow the end goal and everything else will come, you know? And yeah. So, so with that, he, he got to, he got to go on and have a, an incredible career with, with many different teams in, in the NBA. Do you think you were able to, from, from your own experiences, you know, having sort of, I guess, done a large part of that before, before he did, were you able to, kind of give him advice and, and sort of, I don't know, keep him, keep him on, on certain pathways uh, because of your, your own experiences that you'd had in the game? Do you think that sort of helped? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely helped in a way. Uh, the, the thing is about Lou was he used to come to, uh, when I was at Connecticut, he, was, he used to come and watch his practice, you know. So he was always around uh, college basketball even when he was in, in, in high school. So those are the things that not just me saying, but you come in, you will see it right away that how hard you, you really need to work in order for you to uh, follow and accomplish your dreams, you know? Yeah. So, so around basketball, at home, we're around basketball. So everything, every conversation is basketball, you know? Everything is about the game that happened or what did you watch and, and stuff like that. So... With that, conversations are always come, and everybody pick up from everyone, you know. Yeah. And that's the beauty of having a family that just really into basketball. All right, I've got some some shorter questions just to finish up with some quick fire questions, um, which I mean, you, you, your answers don't have to be quick. Uh, but starting with um, your favorite basketball memory. My favorite basketball memory is uh, rough and ready where I came in and I uh, faked the guy here and then fake it here and I put it behind my, <laughs> my head. I'm pretty sure that is somewhere on YouTube still, very grainy, but I think it is available somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Matthew Ryder, man, if you're listening, you need to release all of these basketball stuff. We need to watch them. Come on. <laughs> do, you, do you know what? Actually, uh, I digitized all of the tapes for him years ago and... Uh, which yeah, put him on a hard drive and, and sitting there and getting to watch, you know, all of the years. Yeah. Of, I've only obviously heard the stories and, you know, never seen the footage and to see it always just, it's unbelievable. It's an absolute treasure trove, which yeah, I do hope sees the, the, the light yeah. of day at some point because um, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people that, that, that want to see it. Um, the best, yeah. the best uh, British player that you ever played against. Uh, I would say Andrew Sullivan and, uh, and, uh, Yorick Williams. The best uh, coach you ever played for? Uh, say Jerry Quinn and St. Thomas More. If you could change one thing about your basketball career, what would it be? Ooh, what it would be. I don't think I would change anything. What advice would you give to a young player um, that you know, has dreams of, of wanting to be a professional basketball player? Um, what, yeah, what one piece of advice would you, would you give them? Uh, the piece of advice I would say just uh, work on your game, man. Work on your game. Uh, follow your dreams. Do whatever it takes to do. Now, uh, there's a lot of talent out there, but then uh, study the game, you know. Study the game. Uh, it will help you with a lot of different things. It will help you with IQ as well. So when you're on a court, you will know, you know, make it simpler for you and make, uh, make the competition a lot simpler. 
and then finally, uh, what do you want your, your legacy to be? When people talk about Ajo Deng, uh, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I just... Uh, uh, just a good guy, man. Just a good guy. Uh, I, I love basketball and I love everyone, you know. Uh, the rest of the legacy, well, my family knows. So that's that's good enough for me. Perfect. <laughs> Adrew, thank you so much for taking the time uh, for doing this. Like, super yeah. interesting. I think people will really enjoy it. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Okay, I appreciate it, Sam, man. Thank you for having me, bro. Psst. Hey, podcast listener. That you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now, uh, open up your podcast player, go to the Hoops Fix podcast, you'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.